You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. All right, well, welcome back to the Buffalo Happy Hour. What's up, Mike? Derek, we traveled again. We sure did. So we are back in Rochester, and we are sitting with someone that we've been trying to work with since we started, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. So how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Jason Barrett. I'm the master distiller and president and chief bottle washer here at Black Button Distilling. <laughs> chief bottle washer. Yeah, like awesome. it. Whatever so, needs to get done. Right. What made you get into this business? So it's a somewhat long story, but the... The main points that most people find sort of interesting, um, I was actually in college as a political science major, and I was researching a paper on prohibition when I came to realize that at 19 I could not buy beer, but I could buy everything needed to make beer. And it was then unclear as to the legal status what happened after that. But being a very enterprising person that I was, I went out, bought a homebrew kit, started brewing beer in my closet in my dorm. Nice. My friends all thought this was a great uh, experiment and a lot of fun until they had to taste it because it was terrible. All right. I was, the first few batches were awful. Um, and But I kept it up as a hobby. I eventually moved down to D.C. to, to follow politics and um, actually got pretty good at making beer. Got involved in the D.C. Homebrew Club. And this is 2010, 2011. Craft breweries are just starting to make their way back to, um, you know, back to the DC area and so I decide I'm gonna open a brewery so I get meeting all the other breweries in the area and then we get our first distillery down in DC Catoctin Creek rye whiskey and I managed uh, to start working with them became good friends with them and all of a sudden realized I could take my love of making things and end up with bourbon at the end and I had always been a bourbon drinker I just hadn't ever conceptualized it was like a light that was like the light bulb moment of wait making beer and making whiskey aren't that different. Right. Um, so I started going to distilling schools um, in Chicago and Denver and Spokane, Washington, 
And uh, when I graduated with my master distilling certificate in Spokane, I quit my job, sold everything I owned, and moved uh, back here to Rochester. I had written the business plan by then, uh, found the space we are currently sitting in, uh, right here by the public market, bought a still, and then found out a lot more about running a distillery is a lot more than just knowing how to run a still. Sure. But, uh, but over the last eight years, we've, uh, we've made great progress with it. So. Was there any thoughts ever to include a brewing aspect of your business, or was that not thought of? I mean, I think, I won't say that it like never crossed my mind. Sure. The two concerns I had, they have dramatically different distribution challenges, um, and they're pretty different in equipment for what I ended up wanting to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use a mash ton and we practice on grain distillation, which means the solids move through our process. Whereas beer, you use a louder ton and the solids don't move through the process. Okay. So ironically, for our scotch style um, all malt whiskey, we actually have to partner with Robach Brewing Company next door to brew it and then bring it over here before we ferment it and distill it. Um, so I think had life maybe worked out differently, mm-hmm. it would have been possible. But also with the landlord owning his own brewery, I don't know that he'd be a huge fan of sure. that. <laughs> <laughs> More competition. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Although, uh, as most people will probably realize, the brewers, the distillers, we really see the other uh, craft folks as our compatriots more than our competition. Uh, certainly if we are competing for a particular uh, cocktail placement, we're both hoping to get it. But there's literally only so many people I can talk to about busted pumps and, you know, yeast cell health. And um, and it tends to be that the distilleries are, are run by good people sure. and breweries. So we, we know a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. And, and from what we've just been talking about, it seems like the craft brewing industry has kind of maybe hit close to their plateau. Whereas the craft spirits industry has soared in the past couple of years. Do you, coming from that background, do you see that same trend or are you more on the other side? So um, what's interesting to me about that is that the breweries have just crested their fifth wave and are now looking at a few years of a downward trend. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting to me is that this has actually happened pretty repetitively every six to nine years since 86. Um, and so, I mean, and Rochester really experienced this with Empire Brewing, which had a brew pub down in High Falls that then after a few years closed. So I think it's, I think the, I think it's just more prevalent now because we have more breweries and we're seeing more of it and the, the peaks and valleys are getting sure. bigger. But this has been happening since the 80s and the, the distilleries are more in their third wave. Okay. And right at the moment, we're still on an upward trajectory. Uh, but in my personal opinion, in three to four years, we will be at a similar place where there's a lot of whiskey coming on the market. There's a lot of people fighting for shelf space. And if that demand continues, you know, if demand rises at 7% and supply rises at 12, eventually you get to a point that that's not sustainable sure. and it has to correct. Um, so sorry, that was probably more no, that's technical perfect. than you were yeah, looking yeah. for, but, uh, but we're expecting the same thing. We just think we're about three years behind. Sure. And you're combating that with a ton of different products. I mean, you have a lot of products here, yes. from bourbon to whiskey, to gin, to the, this new stuff that you're putting out. Can you just highlight what you have to offer? Yeah. So, I mean, our, our main product category, we are an all grain distillery. We have, uh, played around with apple brandy and regular grape brandy, but they're really not things we specialize in. Um, so we make uh, corn vodka and wheat vodka. We make a number of gins, several of which are seasonal. 
Uh, so we make a Loganberry gin that comes out in April right around the Broadway market. We have the Lilac gin that comes out in May for the Lilac Festival. Um, we have our Citrus Forward gin that's more of a summertime gin. We have our original cocktail gin, which we partnered with Gallo Pizzeria up in Lewiston to create a historic recipe gin oh, cool. that would have been similar to what would have been served in 1812 when Lewiston was taken over by the British. Um, so gin's a lot of fun because you can do R&D very quickly with mm-hmm. it. Whereas whiskey, which is probably my first passion if we're going to be very honest, um, the R&D cycle is much, much longer. Sure. You have you know, two to four years invested in each cycle. So each time you change a yeast or change a wood type or change a methodology, you have to be really sure because you're going to own a few hundred thousand dollars worth of it before you're going to know if it's good. Right. So we do a lot less experimenting with that, um, but we still have, we have our main four grain bourbon. We have our pre-prohibition style, which is a high rye bourbon. Uh, we have our port finished bourbon, which is our four grain finished in port casts. And then we have our specialty line, which includes Empire Rye and All Malt Black Lock Whiskey. So yeah, vodka, gin, whiskey. Um, oh, and then our uh, our... Last one is our bourbon uh, cream, our bourbon cream liqueur, yeah. uh, which is you know like a an Irish cream but better. So good too. Yes, delicious. And you guys offer cheesecake with that. Yes. Yeah, we <laughs> partnered with Cheesy Eddies, um, and actually we're going to have some fun this year. We're going to be expanding on that partnership a little bit, um, and we're still going to be able to bring it to Buffalo. We found some partners there that'll serve as pickup sites. But yeah, bourbon cream cheesecake, which comes with a bottle of bourbon cream, it's just a fantastic package. Uh, we do that every holiday season. Sure. Is that, is that public yet? Because there's a lot of people in Buffalo that like cheesecake. And <laughs> the only place to really get cheesecake in Buffalo, hashtag not a sponsor, is Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have, um, is that public yet to release who in Buffalo? Or? So at the moment, we we have been doing them as like special events. Mm-hmm. So people pre-order on our website and then they pick it up a specific day. Um, it's Blackbird Cider. Uh, their cider hall is what will be the pickup location. Oh, cool. But the orders would need to be placed on our website. And we'll be doing versions for Mother's Day, Father's Day, 4th of July, one in the fall, and then Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, okay. Yeah. So unfortunately, it won't be available every day. Um, although I guess if it became popular enough, maybe the Cider Hall might, uh, might start carrying it. We could ask them. Um, but we've uh, we found that the pre-order allows us to make the right number of cakes right. sure. related to those holidays. That's super exciting. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So we talked about this in one of our first episodes when we featured the Four Grain Whiskey. So for all of our listeners that haven't been following us from the start, we talked about your history and how you came up with the Black Button name. Yeah. Do you want to give a just another brief yeah. overview on, on how you came up with that name? Yeah. So my family's actually been making buttons since 1922. Uh, I would be the fourth generation if I was running the button factory, but I I happen to be colorblind, so there was a joke when I was a kid, if I took over the factory, we'd only be able to make black buttons, so I decided I would make black buttons, but of the liquid variety instead. (laughs) Um, That button factory still exists. My mother runs it. We send buttons all over the world, primarily high-end men's suits, so Hickey Freeman, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, Vera Wang, Oxford suits. Um, and Hickey Freeman's right here in Rochester up on North Clinton Avenue. So we actually worked with them, uh, for almost a hundred years. It'll in 98 years this year. What is the company called? Hickey Freeman. Oh, Hickey Freeman. Okay. They make really high end suits. That's awesome. $5,000 suits. Oh yeah. I got a couple of them. (laughs) Like same tier as Hugo or would they be different? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they, I mean, they're primarily in, like, London and New York and Chicago and San Francisco. Right, so not Buffalo and Rochester. <laughs> I mean, you, they have a uh, well, yeah. factory store. So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. So then you just decided black button to ceiling, we're going to run with it. And was there any other thoughts in your mind of different names for it, or were you told the, on that? Actually, the original name for the distillery was going to be Carpe Diem Distilling. Uh, okay. Because the idea of Carpe Diem sees the day... Uh, really was a, a big uh, influence on my life throughout high school, college, you know, deciding to quit my job at 24 and start my own company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, there ended up being some trademark issues. Gotcha. Um, and it was one of those, well, you can, but at some point you'll probably get sued and that'll be very expensive. Sure. So uh, we decided to change the name and um, and that's where Black Button came in. And on for, you know, and between those two, I think there were like 200 names because the Carpe Diem name I'd been working with for like 18 months, and then all of a sudden you find out you can't use it, and now you're like, well, now what do I call it? Right. <laughs> so it took like 200 iterations to kind of come up with Black Button being the right one. Sure. So when you decided that you wanted to start your distillery, one, do you want to tell everybody where you're located right now and two, kind of the history of this building? Yeah. So we're at 85 Railroad Street, which is right by the Rochester Public Market, uh, near the Eastman School of Music in downtown Rochester. Uh, we picked that location because the public market, to me, is the epicenter of food culture here in Rochester. And we wanted to bring the public to our process rather than locate the distillery out at our partner farm in Geneseo, where we would have the ingredients close to us, but would need to bring people sure. far down out of the city to visit us. Uh, so this building was actually built in 1897. It was Bartholomew Brothers Window and Door Factory. Uh, when it was built, it was off the electrical grid because there was no electrical grid. <laughs> and, uh, and it made the front page of the paper in 1902 as being the first business in Rochester to buy a truck. Oh, wow. Yeah. So That's Obviously a huge deal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and this idea of mechanized horses, it's a kind of an interesting uh, front page that I've gotten to see down at the library. The other thing I find really funny, what is our front door was their loading dock, and what is our loading dock was their front door. Oh, okay. So we've changed a few things around in 100 years. Uh, but the building is owned by uh, Robach Brewing Company. They occupy the other side of it. Um, they bought it in 97, moved into the, uh, the far side, and then in 2012 rented us this side. So. Sweet. Yeah. So were you anywhere before here, or did you guys start in 2012? We started in 2012, and um, for the first six months, it was just in my mind and on my computer screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was our first lease. That's awesome. So we've always made every drop of Black Button here, even though we now have two off-site warehouses where we store finished goods and store barrels. Uh, the production, bottling, everything is still done right on Railroad Street, 100% in this room. Okay. Well, Where do you get your barrels from? So the barrels primarily come from Adirondack Cooperage, which is up in Remsen, New York. And I think we might be his most painful customer. <laughs> and I say that only and we've, we've gotten incredibly detailed in what we want because we discovered maybe three years in, that the quality of the barrel had a dramatic impact on the quality of the whiskey. So all our barrels come from um, the southern slopes of the Ozark Mountains, which is in Missouri. And we feel that the southern slope trees have more wood sugar in them. They're then dried for 42 months outdoors, no kiln drying, which doesn't trap any of the sap or any of the uh, harsh tannins in the wood, but obviously takes a lot longer and requires buying trees 42 months before you intend to turn sure. them into a barrel. Um, they're then hand raised over uh, small open oak fires. 
and then toasted to a specific char level for us that would run about a three, three and a half on the normal one through five scale, sure. but we do a significantly longer toasting cycle and then a flash char. So we have a much deeper uh, caramelization area in the barrel uh, than you would typically find. And all of that we believe contributes to the end flavor of what makes black button black button. Absolutely. I mean, we've had a, a number of your whiskeys and you can taste that very sweetness in there based yep. off of your your process. Yep. Do you seem like or do you feel like your process is much more demanding or intricate than a lot of other distilleries just because you know exactly what you like? Well, there's a combination of knowing exactly what we like and a quirk in our equipment that we didn't know we had until it was already in place. Oh, okay. So we've actually been trying to figure out the appropriate way to describe this to people, and luckily I have a few minutes here, so I can. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we actually make whiskey in a way that, to my knowledge, no one else on the planet does. Okay. And it's it was actually not necessarily intentional, but it has had a dramatically positive experience for us. So typically, bourbon is made in either a pot still or a column still. And, the, and they both have pros and cons. Pot stills, tons of flavor. Lots of great congeners that come over from the whiskey mash, but really inefficient. You lose 25 or 30% of the whiskey uh, as you're changing between the methanol and ethanol and then the ethanol and propanol. So very expensive to make whiskey in pot stills. Uh, column stills, very efficient. You'll recover almost all of the ethanol, but unfortunately you knock back a lot of those great flavors and you end up with a what can be a fairly bland whiskey that then hopefully is transfixed into something better with the barrel and with time, okay. et cetera. Um, and most whisk, you know, most bourbon we're familiar with today, made in Kentucky, is made in column stills, and yet all Scotch and Irish whiskey are still made in pot stills. Uh, so again, nothing better or you know, they're just different, mm -hmm. um, and they both have their attributes. Our still was built to be sort of the Swiss Army knife of stills, so we can make whiskey, we can make vodka, we can make gin. And there's a number of distilleries that have that, but most of the time they involve changing out pipes to use different sections okay. of the still. And ours has valves. And so, and the mm. valves were actually, we spec'd the valves from a safety perspective. Because if you have different pipes you take on and off, if you put the wrong pipe on and you're just venting hot ethanol gas into the room, you could blow yourself up. And I work really hard to not blow myself up. Um, <laughs> Number one priority. So the benefit of the valve system is that when you throw a valve one way or another, it directs the steam into a different part of the still, but it's much, much safer because you, you really decrease the opportunity for ethanol gas release. So we have the opportunity to use our whiskey column at the and when we're in transition from methanol to ethanol and ethanol to propanol, to get very tight cuts. We have none of that ac, you know, that, that dryness, that, uh, that aggressiveness in the back of the throat that you might get with a cheap bottle of whiskey. Sure. We're able to keep that out. We're able to keep our methanol levels very low because during that part of the run, we use the column and we get a very efficient, clean cut. But for the four hours in between that, if we were to continue to use our column, which is a little more efficient than the bubble plates really should be, we would end up going over the prescribed amount, uh, the prescribed proof for whiskey. So we flip back into our pot, and so we have four hours of high congener, high flavor, incredibly robust whiskey that is then married with about two hours of very light whiskey 
at those uh, column transitions. So all of that together gives us something with a lot of flavor, but very clean tasting. Sure. That then aged in our barrels gives us the black button style. How much trial and error did that take? About three years. <laughs> yeah. oh God, that is so intricate. Yeah. yeah. Good the, for you. The tasting aspect of that has got to be insane to understand the hours for each portion of it. Yes. That's that's insane. And it really changes depending on the size of the barrel and the age of the barrel. So we actually make whiskey differently if it's going into a 15-gallon barrel for two years or a 53-gallon barrel for eight to ten years. So we will want more of the high-character uh, whiskey if it's going into the 53 and we will want more of the clean whiskey if it's going into a 15 just given the time that it's going to age so you essentially worked with your equipment first and barrel second when sometimes yep. people use they just get their still and they're like okay now i can do it and then i'll just work with the barrels and then make my equipment work with those barrels and figure out the timing that way yep when you're saying the hell with that like i have a i have a totally unique way of doing the same thing because there's 40 ways to skin a cat right so well, I'll just do it this way and reverse it. That's that's incredible. Well, and some of it also, when we were coming up, we came up through the barrel shortage. So, like, you know, we started the distillery. We uh, made our first batch of whiskey. It was sitting in a tank. So I, I call a barrel supplier that I had met at a trade show. I was like, all right, I'm ready to order a barrel. And they're like, that's fantastic. When would you like it next year? And I was like, no, 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 I, I need it, like, now. Like, like, you must have some, right? Right. No, no, we're taking orders for next year already. And, uh, okay, well, thank you. I'll, I'll call someone else. And by the third or fourth cooperage, all of a sudden it started to become clear that there might not be any barrels that first year. And um, so at the very beginning, we, I mean, I would spend days on the phone pleading with cooperage managers, calling other distilleries that I heard maybe had some extras. So that first year, we got actually exposed to barrels from all over. Kelvin Cooperage, McGinnis... Black Swan, Barrel Mill, ISC, Adirondack Cooperage didn't even exist at this point. Um, and we got to try our whiskey in all different kinds of barrels. Oh, sweet. And what was interesting is that some of those really didn't work out. I mean, Black Swan is an incredibly respected cooperage. I have friends that use them exclusively. I like the whiskey that comes out of their barrels. But honestly, and, and we had a long conversation with it because I really like the family that runs it. Our whiskey and their barrels... It's just not a great matchup. And we talked for a long time about why that was and what might be able to change. And at the end, it just those, you know, those two particular things don't go that well together. Um, and we stopped using them. And luckily only had so much that had been built up and were able to find new homes for that uh, so that we didn't impact our exact whiskey. So that then made us very interested in what the wood would do with our whiskey, which endeavored this sort of four-year uh, crusade to get to the best barrel for the whiskey. And luckily, uh, we're now seeing the fruits of that as we're starting to harvest those Adirondack Cooperage barrels. That is so neat. Yeah. Very, very intricate. Yeah. You So right now, we're sitting in a part of the distillery that we could talk about, but like you have experimental bottles over there. Mm -hmm. Were those during that process, or there are they experimental for right now? I mean, we're kind of always experimenting. We have a, a 200 liter test still, and um, and if the world was my oyster, I would probably do something different on it every day. Uh, <laughs> but instead, it's about once a month. Um, and we'll anything from trialing a gin 
to making the apple brandy. Um, one of the tests that's over there is bourbon that was finished in X maple syrup casks. Oh, cool. So casks that had first held bourbon, that then held the bourbon barrel aged maple syrup that we sell in the tasting room that we then put bourbon back into. So we're always trying different things and we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily commercially viable to bring them all to market. Mm-hmm. You know, the apple brandy netted us about 16 bottles. Sure. By the time you do the labels and do the marketing and the 18th person that comes through the door can't buy one, like that just doesn't work. Um, so <laughs> it ends up in the distiller's library that we're sitting in where when folks reserve this room, they can try different things that we have made that have never come to market. Oh, so you can rent this? Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah well, you you that's can good come enough. in with like six of your friends, um, either try things off the shelf. We do a bourbon blending class. So these barrels that are sitting right here, uh, we have a thief and literally we would pull samples out. You would try them. We would then start combining them in different ratios. And when you found the ratio you liked the best, we would bottle that specifically for you to take home. And if you liked it a little sweeter and you liked it a little spicier, you could both go home with two individually custom bourbons made literally right in front of your eyes. Wow. How do you reserve this? Speaking for myself, because I want to do it now. Go to the website. I mean, I think most people end up talking to Jessica, our tastier manager, um, to nail down exactly what they want to do with it. Because again, it can range just from people doing a cocktail party to the um, to the whiskey blending glass. But yeah, our, our website has all those details. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. That is sweet. What's your lead time to book this? I'm sure it's a pretty hot... Um, I mean, it all depends on the availability, you know, um, so like Saturday afternoons tend to be a little busier. There's a a group coming in when we're done with this podcast. Um, but I mean, I, we've had people call up and they want to do it this weekend. And if we have the time, happy to have them. So it really just depends on the availability. Most people I think are booking three to four weeks out most of the time just because they're coordinating with their friends and yeah. And yeah, we can do groups of four, groups of six. If we needed to do the same experience for a larger group, we would need we would utilize the tasting area um, because we've done groups up to like 20 or 25, but obviously you're not packing all of those people into this room. Sure. But we can open the door and have all the fun of this room right. in a larger space. That's cool. So. Over there you have not only your stuff, which is the, everything that's made by Black Button, but you also have a segment of things that, one, are the bottles that were from distilleries that were Failed during the Prohibition, correct? Yes. So I'm a huge uh, history nerd, um, you know, and so we did a lot of research in the early years about what were the distilleries that were in Rochester and Buffalo um, when Prohibition struck and, and struck them down. And luckily through eBay and flea markets and a couple of historians that keep an eye out for me, We've been able to get bottles from many of those distilleries and blenders, um, and that's what we have along the top shelf here. Uh, all folks that ended up having to close uh, due to the Noble Experiment. And we've been able to trace down some of their recipes, some of their um, techniques, You know, been able to see pictures of their equipment. Um, so a lot of that's been a lot of fun. And in many ways, a lot of that is what inspired our pre-prohibition style bourbon that we do just as a taste room exclusive because we do so little of it each year but this is an approximation of what whiskey might have tasted like in rochester you know the year before prohibition struck the industry down sure how is that different than your regular whiskey so it's a so the regular whiskey is a four grain this is a high rye whiskey so it is 
seven, uh, 80% corn, 20% rye. Okay. Um, and that ends up uh, giving it just a lot more, like a the spice on the back end. Sure. Really. Um, so part of that's that, you know, corn was very plentiful in Rochester. Rye was being ground by the mills at High Falls. Um, but malted barley would have been incredibly expensive, so they wouldn't have had as much access to that at the time. So that's you know a much, much smaller percentage of this. Now, how much do you make of that a year? Uh, the first year, we only made about 300 bottles of it. Uh, this year, we have about 900 bottles of it. Wow. Yeah. That is, is that increased just because you're reserving this room more? So uh, well, you always we, want to have it for We that, sell or? it in our tasting room as well. Okay. Um, and some of that was just the R&D cycle. So this one is aged for four years in 30-gallon barrels, all in warehouse number one. Um, and so when we had first tried it, we wanted it to get to about two years before we committed to a lot more of it. Sure. Because, again, yeah. each one of these barrels, you know, we're committing, I mean, $5,000. Right. So, you know, you put up four of them. That's a $20,000 bet that four years from now you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I have decent self-confidence, I do <laughs> yeah. like to try a few things before sure. getting it. Because we've had some things go disastrously wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a yeast trial where all of the um, the pre-barrel work, you know, the yeast performed. It was a, a special culture of yeast that we had worked with a company down in Baltimore on. And all the, the fermentation results were great. The distillation ran well. We put it in the barrel, and my only—it's about four years old now. It's undrinkable. It's okay. awful. Um, and my only hope is that in the next four to six years, it will get better. Sure. Um, but also, I'm looking at. I mean, we ended up doing several batches of that, so we probably got a hundred thousand dollars worth of whiskey in the warehouse from that yeast trial. That at the moment is not saleable. Wow. When do you make that decision to pull the plug? Because there's always that hope for four more years it'll make it better. Yeah. So this one went particularly off the rails. And <laughs> as soon as that became apparent, we've made no more of it. Okay, gotcha. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, we may not be rocket scientists, but <laughs> yeah. we're not going to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but, <laughs> it sounds like us with our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the irony being that if that, you know, just because it's not good at four years doesn't mean it might not be great at eight or ten. Mm-hmm. And if that was the case, we might choose to restart it, but you would have a several-year gap. Right. Because, you know, and it's, you're always just looking for leading indicators. If things are going positively, we might choose to invest more in it. If things are going poorly, we invest less in it. The, the apple brandy probably being another great example. I love apple brandy. It's very tasty. I resp- we have a lot of apple trees here in western New York. But the economics of it are dire. True. And I'm sure that with more work on pectin enzymes and the fermentation and a few other things that we could increase that yield. But as you know, we, we ran a couple batches of it, the yields were so poor, we got to talking about what it would take to really make that right. And at the end, we decided that just wasn't an investment we were going to make. Because okay. I think a lot of times folks think of distilleries just as sort of being masters of everything. And in reality, I mean, rum is an incredibly different animal than grain-based products. The fruit whiskeys, or the fruit uh, brandies are an incredibly different system than grain-based whiskeys. So we like to dip our toes in those Mm -hmm. water from time to time, Uh, but typically we come back to what we know, which is that grain-based distillation. Sure. Which is common that you see down south because the flagships that everybody knows of, they're really known for like a single barrel and then what you would always go to the store to buy and Mm -hmm. that's it 
and then they have barrel houses and multiple, multiple barrel houses of their one product because they're like, yep. we mastered it, we've been doing it forever, yeah. like this is it. And then it's it's interesting to see local trying to do so many different things, but more times than not, it's always good. Yep. Like most local products nail seven flagships and they're like, well, how do we pick four? Yes. You know? And we have so, the same question because right. I've often been asked, why do we mess around with gin if we're so good at whiskey? And some of it's that we like the creativity of it. Some of it's that it likes it lets us speak to another consumer at the same event. Mm-hmm. And some of it's just we like it. Um, but you've, you've got to start to draw some of those lines because I know we could get good at rum and I know we could get good at brandy. But every time we make that, where we're not making whiskey and you do want to have enough. So it's a, an interesting balancing act that you really try to, um, to find that harmony with. Again, back to the breweries, you, you do again tend to see most breweries with a flagship that is the majority of their mm-hmm. sales. Rohrbox's Scotch Ale is by far their biggest mover. You know, um, Hayburner uh, mm-hmm. with... Um, Big Ditch. With yeah. Big Ditch. You know, Rusty Nickel has theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's not that they don't make 15 styles, but they kind of become known for something. And there's always a question of, as you set, as it becomes your flagship, you always put a little more marketing behind mm-hmm. it. Now, all of a sudden, it's really taking off. And I've often wondered, you know, kind of how that all develops over time. Sure. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if folks are buying, we're happy to be selling. Exactly. <laughs> so you have the Prohibition style, which is a, a predominantly corn but high rye. Yep. The But you also have an Empire rye as well. Yes. Can you talk about the, the rye mash, but also yeah. what qualifies it to be an Empire rye? Yep. So Empire rye was a project that really started about six years ago when eight distillers got a little drunk at the, <laughs> all, uh, the American awesome. Craft Spirits Association conference and got to talking about the history of whiskey in the United, in New York specifically. And so people have often made whiskey um, or any kind of alcohol from whatever was cheapest. So grappa was made from the pumice of wine. Uh, rye whiskey came about because rye grains grow in fields that nowhere else will. And, um, and before modern milling techniques, rye bread was very, very cheap. It was what you ate if you were poor. So rye grain uh, was very cheap to then make whiskey out of. And at times when corn and wheat prices would go way up, distillers would switch to making more rye whiskey. And, um, and so we decided as a group to bring back that empire style of whiskey that we are hoping in time will be on the same level as Kentucky bourbon mm-hmm. and Tennessee whiskey and scotch and things of that nature. So there are now 16 distillers making empire rye whiskey. It must be 75% rye. It must be 75% of all the grains must be grown in New York. It has to be made, aged, and bottled at a single distillery. It has to be distilled at under 160 proof. It has to be aged for at least two years. And the aging in the barrel has to be under 115 proof. And that being a key difference from Kentucky whiskey where you can go in at 125. Mm -hmm. Every time the proof goes up in the whiskey, not only does the whiskey interact with the barrel a little differently, but you have to add more water at the end to bring the whiskey down to drinking strength. Sure. So the lower the proof you go in, the more expensive it is to do it, but the closer what's in the barrel is to what's in the bottle. And so our version of Empire Rye is 100% New York grown ingredients. It's 96% rye whiskey, 4% malted barley, just enough malted barley to convert over the, um, the rye in the mash done and then we age it for about three years in our 30 gallon barrels in okay. our warehouse 
So that's again one where we only make a few thousand bottles. You will find it at liquor stores mm -hmm. around Western New York, um, but it's incredibly expensive to make it, but it's in, an incredibly spicy, fun whiskey to drink as well. So. Sure. As you're talking about that, you have bourbon specialty is Kentucky, whiskey specialty is Tennessee, but rye in the U.S. there's really no specialty. You have Canadian rye where, right. like the, the whiskey in Canada, the, they're known for their rye yep. bill. But from a U.S. perspective, there's no state that really masters the rye. Right. And what's it, interesting is Pennsylvania and Maryland are now have similar efforts now that we've oh, we'll beat publicized we'll beat ours. <laughs> but it's interesting because the the whiskeys in Maryland and Pennsylvania and New York were actually very different. I mean, if we think pre-prohibition, you're talking, you know, really before the advent of the modern automobile, people did not travel the way we travel today. You sure. know, going to Boston might have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because it was going to take you two weeks to walk there. Mm -hmm. um, so the whiskeys really developed these regional perspectives, and um, and obviously we think the New York Empire Rye Whiskey is better than the other ones. It's certainly a little softer. Sure. So. Shall we try it? That's awesome. Yeah. This is sweet. This is really It makes cool. me thirsty. So in regards to adding water at the end, you have a pretty interesting water system in the tasting room, front section behind the bar. Can yeah. you touch on that quickly? So the, the big pipes behind the bar is actually the fire suppression system. So it's not water. It is, but it's the water in case we burn the building down. Um, okay. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the actual It has process. nothing to do with the process. Those... But for what it's worth, we have a pretty interesting water system. It's just not those pipes. All right. Nailed um, it. So I'm going to stop talking. No, that's all right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. That's all right. Um, my, for what it's worth, my there's two giant valves on that thing, the two big hand crank valves. Sure. Um, my dad wanted to hang a sign on one that said bourbon and one that said gin. And we were afraid that people might take us seriously and think that we were just like pumping it in from something else. <laughs> so we never did that. But um, but no, that that's the fire suppression system. Okay. That unfortunately just uh, was located in that spot and can't be moved. Um, but it gives the the room a nice like steampunk. I think it's, it's rustic. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. rustic. Yeah. Um. So the the water system that's in the back though. Uh, we have several different types of water throughout the building. We have processed water that we use to cool the stills. We have uh, filtered water that we use for brewing. We have our reverse osmosis water that we use for proofing down whiskey. And that last one, the reverse osmosis water, uh, has literally had everything except two parts per million of something other than H2O taken out of it. Mm -hmm. And so that way, when we add it to the high-proof whiskey, we're not bringing in any chlorine or fluoride or any of the other stuff that it's good that they put in drinking water because it keeps us all safe, but would not taste good with whiskey. Sure. Um, the other thing that's interesting, that brewing water all comes from Hemlock Lake. We're in the old center section of the city, so we're still fed from Hemlock Lake. You Genesee Beer also uses Hemlock Lake water. You literally could not move this distillery to Webster and get the same product because they're fed off of Lake Ontario and the minerality and the pH and the acidities are just so different that literally moving just 10 miles east or west would dramatically change this product. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So oh, really, yeah, it's so no big cool. deal to you and our minds are just boiled eggs and just falling out of I mean, there's race. also an interesting question. We've come to realize all this. I'm not necessarily going to claim that we knew all of that when we right. moved downtown. Sure, sure. Uh, we've discovered a lot of things over those eight years. So sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Sure. I always put yeah, out there. A lot of things. And that's not to imply that you can't make good whiskey from Lake Ontario water. It would just be very different. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... 
And with it being uh, Hemlock Lake, as opposed to a larger Lake Ontario, you're more distinct than a lot of the other distilleries that might use that same body of water. Yes. Because yep. you're not using the same as everybody else. Yep. Although there's even big differences in the water quality just from Lake Erie, you know, where Buffalo resides, to where we are mm-hmm. off of Lake Ontario. Because, um, again, it, it picks up a lot of the minerality literally from the rocks that are at the bottom of the lake right there. Can you imagine... That's like, I mean, that's a testament to the distilleries in Buffalo because there's some good products coming out of Buffalo and Lake Erie is it's not a good lake. atrocious. <laughs> like if you, it's, there's an actual meme that's circulating on the internet now where it said if you had Lake Erie water in your mouth at one point in your life, you're immune to coronavirus, <laughs> and it's pretty spot on. But yeah, that's I mean that's they, interesting. As good as I'm sure they treat it a good bit before it comes out of the. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So what do you guys do for filtration for your water? Is it carbon or is it? Something so for else. the the filtered for the the pre filters for the brewing water, yeah, it's just these big carbon uh, sinks that catch all the kind of larger molecules. But then the reverse osmosis is a seven stage membrane filter, sure. where literally it's using pressure and only you know, and it has holes the size of you know H two O, yeah, and only that will make it to the other side. And as you do that in seven progressive steps. Uh, and then run it through an ultraviolet light, you end up with pretty much pure sterile water. Mm-hmm. But it's still different than distilled water. I oftentimes get that question, well, you must use distilled water. Um, distilled water would actually, the the ion charge of the water is so different um, that it'd be pretty gross in whiskey. Oh, really? So yeah. if we use distilled instead of the hemlock leaf lock, non-homogenous, homogenous <laughs> leaf water, that's what we call it. Yeah. The- we... So the story behind that, we went to the Black Button Tasting Room in Buffalo. Yeah. And we, when we bought our first bottle of it, we got a bottle of the reverse osmosis hemlock lake water. Yeah. At that time, I didn't know what it was called, so I just started making up random words for it. Uh, and, and then I still don't know what it's called, so I just <laughs> run with it and just make a joke. But yes, if we use regular distilled water, it would be a different process than the hemlock lake water. Yeah. And it would taste different. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So now for, we need a refill. for yeah. most people, um, <laughs> if they're if they're adding a few drops of uh, whiskey at home, and I mean, I don't know it. You know, I guess it all depends on how into whiskey you you are. Right. Uh, but I usually recommend people use spring water. The commercially available spring waters are fine. Um, but like Dasani is actually uh, filtered tap water. You'll get a very different ion content. So I usually don't recommend that if people are using it at home for droppers in whiskey. Sure. And the reason why you would add water at home, uh, same reason people add ice cubes, um, as it dilutes down a little bit, you start to release some of the more complex flavors in the whiskey. So you'll see a lot of scotches that recommend putting a couple of drops of water in and mm-hmm. opening up the whiskey is what they call it. Okay. So you get a lot of like peppercorn oh, taste from this. Yes, cheers. Uh, a lot of peppercorn taste from this, but it doesn't burn you going down. Right. So a lot of that, like back of the throat, acidity, astringency, is coming from the end of the distillation run. So by avoiding that in the in the column, uh, you don't get that traditional kind of bite in the back of your throat. Sure. But the peppercorn, we're using Danko rye grown down in Groveland, New York, um, on Edgewood Farms, which supplies all the grain for all of what we do. It's just this big, fat, plump rye. It's kind of a nightmare to grow it because if it gets too plump too early, the wind tends to blow it over. And once oh, okay. it's been blown over, you can't use it for making whiskey, just pig feet. But as long as we can get it out of the fields before uh, the wind knocks it down, it's just this incredible grain that's uh, got 
got just so many great properties to it. Imagine that place before a windstorm. Right. All the employees are just running around. <laughs> just trying, trying to, to grab it all. <laughs> I mean, we got 1,600 acres, so if there's a big storm coming, there's actually not a lot we can do about it. Right. That's <laughs> true. But point. we do grow our grains in two separate sections because it, it literally even turns into like microclimates. So okay. we've got southern fields that literally overlook Canisius Lake that are, you know, have quite a bit more grade to them, so the water moves through them quickly, whereas the northern fields are more flat more exposed, going to have more wind. And we usually, our farmer grows twice as much as what we need. And then we do sampling on each one. We pick one of the two lots and he uses the other for his beef cattle. So that way we get oh, wow. the, you know, because a lot of times we lose one of the two. Mm-hmm. Okay. How long is this one age for? The umpire So this is going to be going right on about three years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, is so batch, good. This is batch number two. So this is very, very good. Yeah, it's yeah. good. And Speaking of employees running around before a windstorm, how many employees do you guys have? I'm pretty sure it's 96 today. Wow, moves around geez. sometimes. But yeah, yeah, we have 96 employees all across New York State. Um, and we're in the process of hiring folks in Boston, New Jersey, Denver, Dallas, San Francisco, Austin, Tampa, and Orlando. How many employees does your mom have who runs the button factory? One. Just her? No, one and her. Wow. I mean, it used to be up Come to like 35, but it's down to just one in her. There's just not insane. a lot of call of super high. Like, we do the really high-end, like, hand-turned horn buttons for $5,000 men's suits. Right. There's just, just not nearly as much involved. of a call yeah. for that anymore. Right. Really, like, the family's just not a huge fan of zippers. It was really a declining time for us. You know, it's, it's a very <laughs> sort of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so stop bringing it up, Mike. No, you're fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. I mean, my mom... Still runs it, um, still enjoys it, but uh, right. but they're, yeah, it's just not a growing industry, the the niche that we're in. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So with you hiring these employees basically around the U.S., mm-hmm. there's obviously the future of Black Button being available everywhere. Where is it available right now? So right now, it's pretty much the Northeast, okay. Maryland, Maine. Um, we're adding Florida, Texas, California, and Colorado. Um, and in time, we may add more states, but as you can imagine, those are states with large populations mm-hmm. that over-index on craft. They usually have large craft brewing you know, societies as well, um, and we just think it's the right kind of consumer to appreciate our high-end products. Sure. So no knock to the folks that live in Nebraska, but I think it's going to be a long time before we are trying to penetrate that state. Sure. Sure. Okay. We actually have fans and followers in California. Ah, so so they'll hearing, be happy. yeah, hearing that will be uh, nice for them. Yeah, no, I was gonna say that uh, the distributor just got set up there. Um, if they ask their local liquor store to reach out to us over the internet, we will get them connected. Cool. I used to try to like walk people through who the distributor is in each state, and I just just reach out to us online. We'll take care. <laughs> yeah, of right. It's easier. So you guys are not only branching off into the rye, though, but you also are doing a play on scotch as well, right? Which is the third bottle here? Yes. Our American single malt, it's a peated single malt. We call it Black Luck. We really only release, so we've only made one batch of it ever. Uh, We're about to release our second batch in May. Uh, It's a collaboration between us and restaurant Good Luck uh, in the Village Gate, if anybody's familiar with that in the Rochester area. And they really kind of... um, pushed us to make this um, because they felt that our distilling style would translate well with this um, with this style of whiskey. So they uh, have an, 
unfortunately, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word. But they have actually already committed to buying all of this batch that's coming out in May. 225 bottles. And it'll be available there. And um, so it's 75% unpeated malt whiskey from here in New York. 25% peated malt whiskey from up in Canada. And um, yeah, aged for two years. This particular one aged for two years in 15-gallon barrels right behind the still. So we got a lot of heating and cooling. The second batch aged for a little about, little about three and a half years in 30-gallon barrels in warehouse number two. And okay. we have two barrel warehouses that have dramatically different barrel characteristics. And so it really does matter which barrel uh, and which warehouse each one ends up in. So this is a blended, you said? Because you're this sourcing gonna... the whiskey from others? Is that no, what you said? No, we make... Yeah, we never really figured out how to buy other people's whiskey. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> like, I, good for you. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we've met, like, especially as I'm seeing more places pop up, I, I certainly recognize the economics of it. Right. We just, it, like, didn't cross our mind for the longest time. Sure. I love it. You're and, probably sitting there like, it's been six years. That's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> we just never really figured out how to do it. Right. Um, I don't know if we just didn't make those contacts. It, it just wasn't that interesting to sure. me. Um, so, no, we made 100% of this here oh, okay. on the Street. Um, it just where it ages with the gotcha. two okay, the gotcha. site uh, where we age barrels. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So like for for the people that don't know, the way that peat comes from Scotch is they're actually drying out their barley, barley with peat. Yep. that's how they're burning it. Yep. So you can definitely smell that peat in here, which I wasn't expecting it mm-hmm. to be that prevalent. Yeah, Same. it's a little bit more like a Speyside style yeah. Scotch. Mm-hmm. Not uh, so. There's definitely a peaty nose to it. A thickness to it, you can kind of see definitely a little bit of an oily oh, yeah. note to it. Oh yeah, it'll it literally coats the glass and then it runs nice and slow on its own. Yep. It's so interesting because we've we've conducted quite a few interviews since we started, and a trend lately has been I think that American single malt is going to be the next thing. I think that this is going to be the next thing. Yeah. And you guys just sent it. I mean, we, we like trying a bunch of different things. This is um, so interesting. It's always likely to be a small component of the whiskey for us, just because, again, we only make one thing per day, and we spend most of our time making bourbon. Um, but before you leave, off to give you the name of the distiller down at um, Hollerhorn Distilling in Naples, okay. because yeah, they're please. just going to do American single Oh, sweet. And I'm so excited. Carl went over to Scotland, studied at Springbank. He's putting He built the distillery with his own two hands. Like, literally, oh my gosh. the building. He's the nicest guy I know, other than some of my employees who I love. Um, <laughs> but good save, I'm good so save. excited about the stuff they're going to be making there. Um, and we've not only become good uh, colleagues in the industry, but good friends. So, that is you've awesome. got to talk yeah. to this guy. This stuff's going to be off the charts. No so, kidding. And the equipment, uh, the equipment's in. He's getting it hooked to the boiler. The first firing is in like two or three weeks. Wow. So, this so- is an exciting time. Huge, oh, yeah. huge time. Yeah. And then this for, is something that has never been experienced in the U.S. before. So American right. single malt has existed for maybe 20 years, but at such a small level that I have no idea where you ever would have found sure. it. Um, it. It is just now starting to kick off, and it'll really be another 10 years before I think you start to see sections of it in liquor stores and a real movement. That is but sweet. it's definitely coming. Because, again, we have... I mean, scotch is great. Um, but you have the opportunity to take local terroir from the grains, local distilling, and the local climate, and really influence that whiskey in a very different way. And because yeah. they're aged for so long, the climate becomes an ever more important part. Mm-hmm. 
And wow. there's there's a lot of head distillers in Scotland that don't even get to enjoy their third batch because it takes so long to age that yes. they pass away before they get to enjoy it. Yes. And then most times the third batch is when they figured it out. I mean, I always thought it was funny when I started, I was 24, and so I'm like literally the youngest master distiller at these conferences. And people go, I have got the whiskey older than you. <laughs> I was like, yes, but by the time my whiskey's that old, you'll be dead. <laughs> true, true, true. And Very Mike Hutton will still be cruising right along. So we yeah. have some fun with each other. You, yeah. you can imagine a few hundred uh, industry competitors, yet compatriots, and then a lot of alcohol. It, oh, it's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. So we are like at 50 minutes right now, and I want to be conscious of your time. I know you're very busy. But the mm-hmm. other thing that I wanted to talk about is do you ever source your finished bourbon barrels or whiskey barrels to different places for them to either finish their beer, their wine, or partnerships with other spirits? Yep. Actually, that's so almost all of our barrels are sold locally for that exact okay. reason. Um, so Rusty Nichols bought a bunch. Um, Blackbird Cidery, OSB Cider Works, Rohrbach Brewing Company, Swiftwater Brewing Company. Uh, we've got 30 or 40 of them in the warehouse today. Um, consumers buy them and age beer in at home. Pretty much the only ones we don't sell locally are if they're either dried out or cracked. We stack them on pallets and uh, ship them off to a broker who uses them to make furniture and stuff. Oh, sweet. Um, but we've even had some local furniture folks buy some of those. There's just not as much of a furniture market as there is for the... Uh, liquid grade ones sure but yeah almost all the barrels we uh we harvest either we reuse them for barrel aged gin or for apple brandy or something Mm -hmm. uh or we're selling them because they still have quite a bit of value and and they actually have about 10 pounds of whiskey locked in the wood when they're done oh no way and you've actually partnered with a winery yes yeah castle arca winery was the first winery uh to take some of those barrels and do a a fortified wine somewhat similar to a port but for a variety of technical reasons can't be called that um but yeah they did a, a bourbon barrel aged wine that's available in their taste room and our taste room and there's still about five cases left so wow definitely something worth coming and picking up a bottle of yeah. it's a lot of fun is it a uh regarding the profile of it is it like a dry red or is it a white or um again more like a ruby port where it's got okay. that sweetness and that thickness and then the, you kind of got the bourbon notes coming through on the nose and uh kind of on the end of it so yeah it, but more like a port okay perfect nice um yeah, so really that's the end of what we wanted to talk to you about. Okay. Do you have anything else? Like what's next for Black Button? I know that you said you started in 2012, so that 10-year mark is coming up. Are you thinking about a 10-year? 10, 10-year mark is coming up. Unfortunately, the oldest whiskey we have in the warehouse is about four years old okay. at the moment. Um, a lot of that just comes from the fact that for the longest time, if a barrel was ready, we needed to harvest it because mm-hmm. we needed the money. Um, so we're hoping that we might have a five-year version okay. by our 10-year. Um, but the 10 year version is probably gonna have to wait till more like 20 years. Sure. Right. Um, although there are now barrels set aside, um, you can even imagine with me expecting my first child in August, I might have some plans to set some barrels aside to Absolutely. celebrate that event. Yes. Um, <laughs> which congrats again. That's huge. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, I mean, in terms of, uh, next steps for us, I mean, we're going to continue to grow our presence across New York. We've just made significant investments down in the Hudson Valley and Long Island to really bring the brand there. Uh, we continue to invest in the Buffalo market where we've just uh, we've started looking for another sales rep that'll be able to help us in that area. And, um, you know, we're going to keep making what we make. And in time, I'm sure there will be new and different versions of it. 
Um, I'm get, starting to get particularly interested in barrel finishing. So we do okay. the, the port finish bourbon, and uh, we may have been able to get our hands recently on some barrels you wouldn't expect. Okay. Um, but since it'll be another year or two before those come out, I think I'll just have to invite you back at that point. Sounds good to, to us. To taste yeah. those uh, barrel finish whiskeys uh, at that point. Sure. So where can everybody find you on social media? So blackbuttondistilling.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Um, yeah. Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, you guys are really good on Instagram. We um, we haven't been doing as much with that. It's always an interesting question which platforms are really taking off. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best way to keep in touch with what we're doing is actually go to our website, sign up for our email okay. address. We really only send like one newsletter a month, but we managed to get all our info into that. Cool. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Do you have something to add? We're not on Twitter. Oh, we shut that down? Yeah. Yeah, Twitter got real nasty like six months ago. Yeah. We just kind of decided that that wasn't worth the conversation. Sure. So, oh, and, absolutely. And again, I, I respect everybody's opinion. Um, I know, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about You're a political science you major. Can, you have to respect everyone's opinion. Yeah. And I, I just <laughs> like talking to people, but sure. I don't know. I, I've, I've always just found it interesting that, that the online webs can do a lot more of tearing down than building absolutely. up. Absolutely. And I'd rather be having productive conversations about building up the industry and and you know and working on positive things like sure. that. So I think that contributed to why we ended up exiting that particular media. Because also you really had to like have it up like all the time because yeah. people want to talk to you like right that minute. That's right. our <laughs> least engagement for social media. Oh, okay. We don't even we rarely post on Twitter. It's all yep. Instagram and Facebook for yeah. us. So yeah. yeah. Well thank you so much for your time. We yeah. really appreciate it. No, appreciate you guys coming out. Look forward to Drinking with you again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.